Hello and welcome to the JTFP, the official podcast of JT Fowler. That's me, Jackson T. Fowler, coming to you on this platform, on this program, for the very first time. Although, I'm sure for a lot of you it is not the first time you will have heard from me. Uh, Perhaps you might have seen me on Facebook, you may have seen me on Twitter... You may have seen some of the interviews I've done. Uh, you may have seen me on the Mr. Berry, Mr. Berry Show, which I was on uh, guest hosting for a few weeks recently, which was a, an interesting experience. But whether you know me personally, whether you know me through internet interaction, or whether you have never met me, never heard of me, Welcome into the program. You've obviously found this program in some format, and it is a pleasure to be with you today. Now, the idea for this show came fairly recently, uh, as recently as last week. Today is, of course, episode one of the JTFP, and it is the 14th of June, Monday the 14th of June, 2021. Now, as I was saying, the idea for this program came very recently last week. You can probably hear it, I'm still sick, uh, but I'm well enough to talk, I'm well enough to uh, record this show. Now last week I was stuck at home for a whole week, I was in bed, uh, couldn't talk uh, for a few days, um, was feeling pretty sorry for myself and all I could really do was lie in bed and listen to the talk back and unfortunately I couldn't ring up because I had no voice which was not ideal. I am uh, of the view that for anyone in the year 2021, or the 2022, 2023, any time further down the track, the only real way that any individual person is going to have a voice is by taking control of their own uh, media is by taking control of their own platform and by publishing under their own name. Not under Facebook, not under Google, not under YouTube or um, any other medium, but by having their own voice. And it will get to the point, and this is a point that my friend Vince McLeod has made, every human being who wants to have an original thought, who wants to influence opinion, who wants to put any sort of unique thought out into the world, is going to need their own method, their own platform of delivering that message. And this is, uh, for me, my platform. So, if you're new to me completely, Excuse me, what is, what is, who am I, what is the show about? The show is about New Zealand, it is about the country we live in, it is about the politics and the social problems in this country. Now, those are to me the two most important things you could possibly think about, possibly discuss in regards to New Zealand. The political situation that we're in, which is poor. Uh, and we'll go into that, and the social problems in this country, which are an absolute tragedy. 
And social problems, what do I mean? I mean old people who are lonely. I mean beneficiaries who are starving, who can't put food on the table. I'm talking about children that are beaten to death in emergency housing. I'm talking about children that are put in a washing machine and killed. I'm talking about the fact that we send people into prison en masse and they come out hardened criminals repeating the cycle of violence. I'm talking about the fact we have a gang problem in this country, that politicians, especially of this government, refuse to acknowledge. We have poverty, deprivation, hardship in this country, and it is appalling. It is shocking, but it is right here. So, that is what I will be talking about. That is what I will be discussing. Be discussing the fact that house prices have appreciated by 25% in the last year. By the, I'll be talking about the fact that the poor, the working class, the elderly, are getting screwed all the time. Because the government doesn't govern in their interests. I'm going to be talking about bank policy. The fact that we're in a housing crisis fully caused, fully created by bank policy. Not by a lack of housing. Not by not having enough buildings. Not by having too many people. But because there are there is too much cheap money floating around. I'll be talking about that. And the other issue for me that is uh, something that keeps me up at night, so to speak, is the threat of urban sprawl. And this has been one of the major passions for me in the last six or so months has been the fact that in this country we have a rapidly shrinking pool of elite soil we are covering our best growing land, our best growing soils, our class 1, class 2, class 3 soils in concrete. We are destroying our ability to grow food at a time where there is a global agenda to take control of food supply, at the time where there is, you know, a push to to ban or limit uh, meat production, uh, beef and lamb. Obviously, we've had the Climate Change Commission, which I'll be talking about uh, as well, um, report come out to destock farms. We are losing our ability to grow food. We are losing our ability to grow vegetables. We're destroying and putting enormous pressure on the horticultural sector. And I'm going to be talking about that if not every episode, then fairly often, because it is something that drives me, it is a passion of mine, and I will not rest until there is more awareness brought to the issue, until people are understanding, and until it is more of an issue of national consciousness, if we like, that we are losing our ability to grow food. And once we've lost our ability to grow vegetables in this country, we cannot get it back. I'll be covering that on this program as well. Now, 
a bit about me. Who am I? What am I about? What are my political views? What has shaped me? Who am I? I am almost 20 years of age. Um, and you might now well be thinking, what am I doing listening to a 20-year-old, or a soon-to-be 20-year-old, I'm 19 at the moment, telling me about politics, talking about politics, talking about social problems, talking about this, talking about that? And that is a very good question. And that is a very good question. It's a good question because who am I? What life experience do I have? Not a great deal. Not a great deal because no one can at 19 or 20 years old. Some have more than others. Some have certain experiences that have shaped them. Some have had hardships that have wisened them up or have forced them to grow up quicker. I don't claim... Uh, I'll, I'll say it now, I don't claim to be the world expert on any particular thing, okay? I am not, I don't know everything, I don't have all the answers, far from it. Um, but I like to think that I can detect when something is is bullshit, alright? And that's what we'll be discussing on this program. Now, what life experience do I have? I am... I'm a manufacturer, I was educated at uh, New Zealand's largest independent school, and perhaps that's something that's shaped my worldview in a sense, and that's something I'll be talking about on this show. I'm someone who has uh, been motivated and interested in politics for, must be about eight years now, uh, and that is a long time, and so certainly I provide the uh, experience of someone who has been politically aware for a reasonable amount of time. You look at the view of the average New Zealander, they don't know what's going on in politics. They couldn't name who the Minister of Agriculture is. All they know is, you know, their situation, whether it's improving or worsening, whether they're better off or worse off, whether they can pay the bills, pay the rent, and feed their family. And so I will be offering my perspective on, which is an informed perspective on on current events. Now, something that I will raise now is that this program is a platform, is a program that respects the um, superior experience uh, of, of our elders, of older people. There are people who have been studying uh, in their field, there have been people who have been working on the ground, there have been people that have been um, aware, there are people that have been experts on particular issues for longer than I've been alive. And that is wonderful. And I really hope to gain some of that experience, some of that knowledge on this program by speaking to those who have uh, discussed these issues before me, by those who have written about these issues, by those who, who know more about them than I. There is nothing, and I'll make this point, there is nothing that annoys me more than a young person, and I'm talking about someone who's about my age or slightly older or slightly younger, who thinks they know everything. Some smart little shit out of the Green Party who thinks they have all the answers because they don't, all right? They don't. I don't, they don't, no one does. No one has all the answers, and no one has a clue 
when they are 19 or 20 or 21 about most things. Now, I offer my opinion uh, in the moment in time. Obviously, things are subject to change. And I would like to think that this project will continue long enough so that things will change and we'll discuss them as they do. But uh, we take everything said on this program in the context of the time in which it was given. The other point I will make is that this is a free speech podcast, alright? This is a free speech podcast, and by that I mean we don't engage in cancel culture, we don't engage in um, social justice behaviour, we don't ban people. Look, I'm going to offer my opinion on this program, it's my program, and if people disagree with me, feel free to chime in. Send me an email, reach out privately. Hell, if you think I've said something wrong, if you think I'm dead wrong on something, you are more than welcome to to make your voice heard, and I will discuss, I will debate with anyone the merits of what I am saying on this program. If I feel strongly about something, and you feel strongly, and you disagree, come on the show. We'll talk about it, we'll sort it out, and we'll let others decide. This is a free speech platform. Uh, It will remain a free speech platform. People are more than welcome to come on this show and discuss political opinions, social problems, any other current affairs in a respectful manner. So that is that is a free speech platform, and it will remain a free speech platform. So that is a little bit about me. Um, I am someone who ultimately just wants to see a better country, who's someone who wants to see a better New Zealand. I'm not interested in politics for politics' sake. I'm not interested in uh, being one of these jumped-up little pricks who join a youth wing of a political party because they're desperate for power and they stand for nothing and they'll parrot anything. They'll just nod along to the last opinion they heard. I'm not interested in doing that. What I am interested in doing is using my position, my fortune in life to strive to create this this country a better a better country to make sure that no one has to grow up in this country wanting for the most basic things now i'm not naive you know we're never going to have a a you know utopia where no one ever wants for everything and everyone grows up and it's perfect of course not But we've created a society in the last few years in this country where the divide between the rich and the poor grows every single day. You know, if you own a house in this country, if you own a a rental house, an investment property, you are coming up smelling of roses. And if you are renting, if you are not on the property ladder, if you're living on the breadline, you are getting screwed. Getting screwed. And the government doesn't care, because this government is governing in the interests of the wealthy. They're governing in the interests of the wealthy, those who voted, or vote traditionally, national, and gave Labour their their first majority um, last year. They are not governing in the interests of the poor. And I think it's an absolute tragedy that the government is allowed to continue in this way. We're going to be talking about... COVID and all the crap that that is. We're going to be talking about uh, the moves of this government to 
to centralise power, to take power away from local communities. We're going to be talking about all that. And I suppose today, uh, I've been thinking, and last night before I went to bed, I was thinking about recording this episode, and I was practising what I was going to say. And this episode is quite disjointed. I have nothing prepared. I have no script. I have no notes. I'm just speaking off the cuff, and I'm sure you've noticed that. But the, 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 I'll call it a theme, which has been pretty obvious in the last, especially seven, eight months, since the election, since the election, and before. We've had a government that doesn't, that is a Labour government, right? We've got a Labour Party government, hell-bent on socialism, but it's the kind of socialism, or maybe this is the only kind of socialism, it's the kind of socialism that doesn't work in the interests of the poor. It works in the interests of the wealthy. Now, people who think they're intelligent, people who think they're in tune, so, oh, well, you know, socialism, isn't that working in the interests of the poor? Or they'll say, well, the government's not helping poor people, so how can it be socialism? And what I say to that is, they have misunderstood socialism. <coughs> Excuse me. They've misunderstood socialism big time. Because socialism isn't about advocating for the poor. It isn't about helping the poor. It isn't about improving the lives of the poorest people in this country. Socialism is about greater control of people's lives. It is about the fact that this government has everyone or most people in New Zealand by the scruff of the neck... And it owns these people. It owns these people. And it's a tragedy that people don't wake up and see it. You know? How many people in this country were hurt by the actions of the government? Were made worse off? Their lives were made materially worse by the actions of this government. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about workers whose pay didn't keep up with inflation. I'm talking about people whose costs skyrocketed in terms of new taxes on petrol, in terms of rent got more expensive, in terms of um, all sorts of things. All costs went up. And people's incomes didn't keep up with it. And yet those people voted for the government. Those people gave the government their endorsement. And why? Well, a lot of them, a lot of it was, because, oh, Jacinda, Jacinda's so lovely. Oh, isn't she nice? Isn't she kind? Uh, all that crap. And it's nauseating. It really is. But the, the other point... And the wider point, and the perhaps more concerning point, is the people that voted for the government because, oh, they did such a good job on COVID. Oh, I'm so safe. Oh, I'm so glad the government saved my life. What a load of crap that is. Come on. If you're a grown man or a grown woman, and you believe the only reason you're alive, or the only reason you are safe, is because of the government 
then that's embarrassing. Come on. Come on. People have free agency. People have the ability to determine their own outcomes. If you're alive, it's not because of the government. The government doesn't give a toss about our health in this country. If the government gave a toss about our health in this country, they would be doing something about the cancer epidemic, about the diabetes epidemic, about the the heart disease epidemic, about the fact that New Zealanders are getting bigger and more obese and sicker all the time. But they say nothing about that. There's no billion dollars to solve diabetes. There's no billion dollars to solve the fact that, you know, more people are becoming dependent on uh, chemotherapy or dialysis. People voted for this government because they gave them a warm, fuzzy feeling. And at the same time, while the government was telling you every day on a, on a state-owned TV channel with a daily briefing, while they were telling you how great they are, and stay inside, don't go to the shop, don't give someone a handshake, bubble this, bubble that, bubble, 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 you know, while they were telling you all that crap, the cost of living was rising. Wages were not keeping up with inflation. While they were printing money for a pastime, left, right and centre, to inflate asset values, to keep house prices high, to keep the share market high, record highs, they were not working in the interests of regular people. Not at all. Not at all. They were not working in the interests of people's health. They were not working in the interests of people's financial position. They were screwing us. They were screwing over the average person. If you were wealthy and you could afford to stay home and not work, if you could afford to go without income for a few weeks, or if you were one of the privileged few who were able to stay at home and work on a laptop in your living room, you were coming up smelling of roses. It was great. By and large, by and large. If you're poor, if you're in South Auckland, if you're working in a factory, if you are living on the breadline, you did not have that luxury. You did not have the luxury of being able to sit on a laptop at home and chill out. Of, of, you didn't have the luxury of being able to, to relax and tune in to the 1pm broadcast like you were living in a communist state. Because you were at work. Because you had to be. Because it was your only chance to feed your family. Because either you couldn't live on the wage subsidy, which was not enough, or because your job was essential. And I have a lot of sympathy for those people, and I have experience of it. Because I'm not going to pretend that I'm living on the breadline. Far from it. I'm a person of fortune and privilege. But I am an essential worker, and I was working with low-income New Zealanders with people that didn't have the luxury of being able to work at home. I work in manufacturing, I work in a, a plastics industry, a plastics factory, and I worked through the whole lockdown and many of the weekends. And to be honest, it was a relief that I didn't have to sit at home all the time because I would have been bored stiff. Uh, and I worked with some great people during that time. But it really deepened and highlighted the inequalities. Now, I said for the wealthy and the privileged, staying home was was good by and large. People were, were, by and large, they were fine with it. And that's true. 
But the lockdown made so many things worse. So many things worse. Just think about it. Use your brain. How many people in that few weeks were at home and their mental health suffered? How many people were at home and they developed, you know, an eating disorder because they were isolated? You know, I've seen that on the news. Uh, Eating disorders were something that spiked during the lockdown. How many people gained weight just sitting on the couch? How many people ate themselves into diabetes just sitting on the couch? How many people got ill? How many people missed time with their family? How many older people were totally isolated from anyone? How many older people were isolated from their friends, their activities, their hobbies, and the thing that keep them connected in their communities? A lot of people. A lot of people. People's mental health suffered. People's physical health suffered. And sure, some things about it were good. Some people that were exhausted had a rest. Some people developed new hobbies, blah, blah, blah. And that's good. Cool. But by and large, the lockdown was, and I'll say it, a cancer on our society. It was a cancer on our society, and it's made people weaker, mentally and physically weaker. People are lacking the ability to think for themselves, alright? It's human nature, folks. It is human nature. You think about it. You're sitting on the couch every day for several weeks. The news comes on at one o'clock. And the government tells you, there are 25 new cases of COVID-19 in the community, blah, blah, blah. And and, and people, by and large, the gullible, and even some intelligent people sit there thinking, oh no, oh no, oh no, if I catch this flu, because that's what it is, I'm going to die. What a load of crap. And so people start subscribing to the idea that the only way I'll be safe is if I do everything Jacinda tells me. The only way I'll be safe is if I stay home. And maybe I'll never go out again, you know? And I realise, to some extent in New Zealand, we are fortunate that we are not oppressed as much as those in particularly the UK. It's come out this week, uh, just this morning, I think, that, or it was yesterday, that Boris Johnson is extending the lockdown for another two, three weeks or something. You think, shit, these people are now into their second year in lockdown. And I guess if you follow it closely, it's been, sometimes they've been in lockdown, sometimes they haven't, but they've been in lockdown, as I believe, basically since Christmas, pretty full on. And um, it's been it's been rough, it's been rough. You think about, oh, Christmas, that wasn't so long ago. Look at the date. It's the 14th of June. We're halfway through the year. And these people have been in a lockdown. And they've been in lockdown far longer than that. And so, in a way, you know, we are very fortunate. And and don't misconstrue what I'm saying here. We are fortunate we are not as oppressed as others. But certainly we are oppressed. Think about it, guys. If you go on a bus... You're supposed to wear a mask. If you go on a train, you're supposed to wear a mask. If you go on a plane, you're supposed to wear a mask. You know? There are all these bullshit restrictions that, to be fair, people that are more relaxed around now. But I'm picking that we're overdue for a lockdown. 
I'm picking there's another lockdown coming up soon. By the end of winter, I'm sure. And there is just no end in sight. There's just no end in sight. Remember the beginning? And I know I'm, I'm going back a long way here. Remember the beginning? It's just a few weeks to flatten the curve. Oh, okay, 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 never mind. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, flatten the curve. All done. It's all history by Christmas. Well, that was a lie. That was a lie because Christmas was six months ago. And then it was, well, there's going to be some restrictions until there's a vaccination. Okay, 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 we'll keep going until then. You know, vaccination will come along at some point. And that was about Christmas? Just, no. It was about November the vaccination was announced. It was, it was about the week after Trump supposedly lost the election. And so here we are now about, what, seven months, eight months on from that. And some people have had it. But then, until very recently, the CDC, uh, the Centre of Disease Control, comes out and says, oh, you still have to wear a mask until about, what, six months later? Seven months later after you've had the vaccine. You still have to wear a mask indoors. You know, if you go to a stadium, you go to the movies, you got to wear a mask. And even when the government says you don't have to wear a mask anymore, a lot of people still do. A lot of people want to wear one of their own free will. Bloody hell. It's like tying up an elephant. If you tie up an elephant as a as a young elephant, and it's not allowed to walk anywhere, it won't, obviously it can't go anywhere. And if you keep it chained up and chained up and chained up, one of these days, you take the chain off, it won't move. Because mentally, it is still enslaved. And that is how people all across the West are now. More so than ever. They are mentally slaves. They are mentally enslaved to the government, to Dr. Fauci, you know, Anthony Bloomfield, whoever it is. Jacinda, Joe Biden, bloody hell. So, it is a scam because there's no end in sight. When they say, just wait until the vaccination, and, oh, okay, you know, people are by and large getting the vaccination in America and the UK. I think they're both over 50% of people have got the vaccination now. So they're coming up to the herd immunity point. And then, oh no, oh no, we've got an Indian variant or strain or whatever of the disease. We've got another one, you know, it's more transferable, it's more deadly, blah, 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 blah. And so you think, what, does it take the survival rate from 99.9% to 99.8%? I mean, shit. But, you know, let's not get into that right now. But it is crap. Okay, and I'm not suggesting people haven't died because they have. I'm not suggesting that if you're very elderly or already sick, you may die. Yes, you may, and certainly some people have. But it is just such rubbish. Guys, when will people realize? Every time they tell you it'll, it's going to end, it never ends. Just a few weeks. Just until the end of May or June or whatever. Just until Christmas. Just until there's a vaccine. Just until you've had the vaccine. Oh, but now you're going to need a new vaccination every year. You're never going to be able to fly again unless you've had the vaccination. What a load of crap. What a load of crap. You know, they're now firing people from their jobs for not having a vaccination. 
bloody hell wake up wake up so i guess where did i start with all that rant and that went on quite a while didn't it where did I start? I started by talking about how the Labour government, how Jacinda Ardern, have not governed in the interests of the New Zealand people. Not at all. And yet they still voted for them. Now, what are, what are other... Forgive me, I'm having trouble speaking um, since I've been ill. What are other examples of the government screwing over working-class New Zealand people and New Zealanders signing up for it? What are other examples? Well, I'll give you one. Just now, just today, just yesterday, just this week, the government has announced their new scheme for electric cars, whereby the government will, up to an $80,000 car, the government will give you eight, an $8,000 subsidy to buy a new electric car. Now, on the face of it, I'm someone who hates government, who hates taxes, who hates having to pay road user charges, fuel charges, registration, warrant of fitness, all that sort of crap. So the idea of getting $8,000 back from the government sounds pretty good, right? It does. But wait. Nothing is ever as it seems with the government, or this government especially. Because if you're buying a new ute... If you're buying a new Land Cruiser or a Hilux or a Ford Ranger or something of that nature, you are going to be hit with a new tax. We are going to be robbing the builders, farmers, plumbers, people buying a ute or a van or a truck or whatever to pay the wealthy who are buying... A brand new Tesla. Jeepers. What the heck? You know? Just think about this, guys. Just think about it, folks. We have a Labour government that wants to give a subsidy, a subsidy, to those who can afford to buy an $80,000 Tesla or an $80,000 car of any sort. If you are spending... $30,000, $40,000 on a car. Okay, you're not exactly living on the breadline, but you're far from wealthy. And you're giving that to someone who can afford to buy an $80,000 car, which, by the way, is more than most New Zealanders earn in a year. You know. It is crap. It is regressive. It is a tax that hits poorer people disproportionately to pay the wealthy. To pay the woke. Because if you are a Green Party voter, if you're living in an inner city, if you can drive an electric car, a Nissan Leaf or a Tesla or whatever the hell, down to the shops, great. Very happy for you. You know, if you're a woke Green Party voter who likes to get in a Volkswagen e-Golf or whatever the hell you're driving and feel good about yourself... Because, oh, I'm emission-free. You see it on the back of a Nissan Leaf. Zero emission. Well, that is crap. Because it's not zero emission. Maybe you're not, you know, farting out any emissions out the back of the car. But I'll tell you what, there were some emissions involved in the production of that vehicle. Were there what? Come on. 
You know, this idea, I called the talk back the other night about this once I could speak. You know, crikey. There are some emissions involved in making a new car. If you are genuine about wanting to help the planet, what will you do? You will drive the car you have now. Because most people already have a car. Most people's cars are fine. For example, I drive a Toyota Land Cruiser. It's a 2010 model. It's got 264,000 Ks. Great car. Great car. And it will be going strong in another 5 or 10 years, provided you keep up on the maintenance. And it will be using some diesel. It'll be using a bit of diesel. But I tell you what, there will be far less emissions being farted out the back of my car than there will be if I was to say, okay... I need to be a responsible New Zealander. I need to go out and consume my way to a better future. I need to go out and buy a Nissan Leaf, which where I live, what I do would be totally impractical. But let's say, for example, there was a Nissan Leaf that would suit my my needs. And I go out and bought it, and it cost $50,000 or whatever. First of all, I would have to pay more money than I've already just paid for a car, but... That's beside the point. Say my my car will end up in the hands of someone else because I would sell it to someone else or, or I'd trade it in for someone who would use it for its intended purpose, which is exactly how I've been using it. Or it would be scrapped, which, you know, it's a perfectly good car, so it wouldn't be scrapped. But for argument's sake, let's say you're driving an older car that would be scrapped. You go and scrap that car, take it to the junkyard. No one's going to drive it. Okay, cool. It's off the road. No emissions. Yay. But that person who was driving that car has just bought a brand new car. Now use your brain, folks. The car wouldn't have been made in New Zealand, because we don't make cars over here. So it would have been imported. So it would have come on a big, dirty diesel ship from Japan, if it's a Leaf, or Germany, or wherever the hell, if it was a European car. So there's emissions right there, just to get the bloody thing from where it was built to the end user. That's one point. The other point is, hell, look at all the resources in a car. Look at all the metal that has to be cut and bent and welded to make the the car. Look at all the plastic on the inside of a car. You know, look at the fact that there's plastic for the buttons, for the consoles, all that. All that has to be made from oil and then molded and then put in the car. There's emissions right there. Just look at the seats, you know, leather. Well, you know, there's been an animal, there's been a hide, that's had emissions, there's emissions involved in making just the seats, for example, you know, the carpets, they're, they're probably synthetic, so there's been plastic involved in making the carpets of the car, bloody hell, there are something like two or three hundred chips, computer chips, inside a car, to control the radio, the steering, the power steering, all that sort of stuff, you know, there's more resources, Hell, think about the battery. Think about the children growing up in the third world, mining for lithium for a battery. And now you've got this car, and and don't quote me on this, but I believe emissions for making a, a battery car, an, an electric car, are, are about double that, or close to that, of the certainly higher than making a petrol car. So think about it. You know, you're probably going to use less petrol in a year driving around town 
than you would than than the the ship that brings your car in from Germany is going to use just to bring it here. So this zero emission stuff is absolute crap. Absolute crap. And I understand it's a tough sell to tell people to drive the car they've always driven because they want new technology, new safety, blah, blah, blah. But there is no way in hell that you can spin buying a brand new car as being good for the planet. Wake up, you know, come on. How dumb are people? How dumb do people think we are? You know, if you are buying a brand new Nissan Leaf and you think you're doing something good for the planet, honestly, you're an environmental disaster. You're an environmental disaster. And I say that as someone who drives a diesel Land Cruiser and I'm very happy to do so. Because that car, all the emissions that were involved in creating that car have already been spent. They've already been done. They've already been emitted. The only further emission is a small amount of diesel, which pales in comparison to mining for lithium, quite frankly. But to the wider point, back to this government, back to New Zealand, because everything we do on this program, everything I do on this program, has to relate back to New Zealand, has to relate back to New Zealanders, because that is what we're talking about. This is regressive. This is regressive, you know? It is hitting poorer people. And I've seen tweets today, I've seen, excuse me, I've seen tweets today on Twitter. Well, I don't know where else I've seen them. I've seen on Twitter today, there's there's a couple of little henchmen for the government, and they go around apologising for everything Jacinda does. And people on the right, or, you know, not that we really have a political right in this country, but people loosely on the right, were saying, hold on, this is going to affect the poor, low-income earners. And they say, no, it's not, because it doesn't apply to used cars. Well, for goodness sake. You make every car $3,000 more expensive, what's going to happen to the cost of used cars? Ooh. God, is that not the most obvious thing you've ever seen? You know, if you are driving up the cost of a car, who does that get passed on to? It's the poor. It's the poor. It's the people who are driving older cars, petrol cars, imported cars. And and I uh, don't quote me on this because I'm not quite uh, 100% on this, but I believe it also applies to second-hand imported cars. So if you're buying a car that's just come in from Japan, I believe, as of next year or next month, there's going to be a tax applied on that too. Shit. You know? People are being crushed. You know, people's wallets are under attack from all sides. Petrol tax goes up. You know, GST remains high. Inflation remains high. Wage growth remains low. The cost of getting to work has gone up. And people still think that Jacinda is on their side. Give me a break. Give me a break. I think that uh, is a good place to leave it for today, for the first episode of the JTFP, the official podcast of JT Fowler. That's me. 
It has been a pleasure to be with you once again. And I look forward to being back with you next week for a much more structured episode. For a much more planned episode. For possibly a longer episode, I'll see. For a more polished episode. This is just some thoughts I've had that I wanted to to get out. And it's a, it's a starting point. It's a starting point for a new show. And I'm very happy to have done that. I hope everyone has learned something. I hope everyone's taken away something. And I hope everyone is looking forward to the next episode. We'll see you soon on the JTFP, the official podcast of Jackson T. Fowler. Thank you very much.